You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. Back to Manchester here where we've been on the ground for several days. It's actually time to vote. What a great feeling after talking about polling for weeks and months. All the speculation and the prognosticating will not matter by the end of this day. The polls close beginning at 7. They do it a little bit differently in New Hampshire. The final polls will close at 8. And uh, we expect a pretty early call from everyone we're talking to here. We have the latest uh, on-the-ground polling and this rolling poll by Suffolk University That's uh, they've been working with the Boston Globe and USA Today. It's not looking good for Nikki Haley. Remember, this is the poll that had them in what, within 10 points a week ago, and Donald Trump just hit 60% for the first time uh, in this poll, Nikki Haley at 38%. We've got 22 delegates on the line, and look, New Hampshire's known for surprises. That's partly why we are here. And this is also where we begin our conversation with Bloomberg's Lauren Dzinski, who used to do this for a living. It's great to see you in Manchester, just like the old days. And the times that you spent covering the State House in Massachusetts, you covered Charlie Brown, you covered a guy named Scott Brown, who we talked to here last night. I just wonder, Lauren, your thoughts on where the Republican Party is and where it's turning here in New England. We've been talking so much about independents who are going to make up this decision. Uh, where are the demographics now compared to a Republican Party that elected Charlie Baker? That's a really good question. I think when, when we talk about New England conservative voters, Mm-hmm. We often think of the flinty Republican from New Hampshire. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's really, I think, what, what it comes down to tonight is a gauge of, is this still the party of Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. He won New Hampshire in 2016. In 2020, is he going to do it again tonight? Mm-hmm. And I think... If you look at Charlie Baker, the nation's most popular governor at the time, who was a Republican despite that, didn't seek a third term in office. There's a number of reasons why he didn't run for re-election in Massachusetts, but it's also because he couldn't win a Republican primary in his own state. Hmm. And I think those demographics kind of bear out in the state just north of Massachusetts, which is New Hampshire, which is where we are right now. And they share a lot of folks, right, conservatives who work in Boston, who've moved to New Hampshire for the more favorable taxes or whatever policy it is that turned them on or off in one state or the other. There are a lot of folks uh, who are considered Massachusetts natives or, I guess, former residents who are going to be making these decisions here in New Hampshire. So how do you put that all together? Is this the same New Hampshire that elected Donald Trump in 2016? I mean, I think, if anything, this is even more so the New Hampshire that elected Donald Trump in 2016. Okay. It's Trumpier is what you mean. Yeah, and I think it's also, it lends itself to the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign is better organized and better run than it was in 2016. Mm-hmm. Even in Iowa, you know, you had the Trump caucus captain hats that were gold and white that yeah, were right, yeah. an absolute asset. Yeah. That wasn't happening in 2016. Sure. And the same thing is true in New Hampshire. Last night, Donald Trump did a rally in, I believe, Laconia, which mm-hmm. is quite far north. Mm-hmm. And he admitted when he was at his rally that, you know, my advisors recommended that I come all the way up here to speak to you guys. Yeah. And, you know, he talked about how he had all these supporters packed into a room. It speaks to not only the 
steadfast and as we've seen in that latest Boston Globe poll, mm -hmm. the, the building support that Trump has, but also just the resiliency of it all and the attention by the Trump campaign in recognizing that New Hampshire is a fertile ground, sure. even though Nikki Haley barnstormed the state. Right. And how is that going to work out for her? Well, it starts making you wonder if the New Hampshire primary is still the New Hampshire primary. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the sentiment here, having been on the ground in 2016, yeah. it's, a, it's a different vibe. Mm -hmm. Also, that has to do with the Democrats not, you know, Joe Biden is not on the ballot this time around. And so there's the whole write-in campaign or whatever. Mm -hmm. Also, many Massachusetts electeds will have a hand in trying to have Joe Biden not suffer an embarrassing defeat. Yes, right. Um, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Dean Phillips thinks he can embarrass Joe Biden. That's a whole other storyline here. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, I didn't mean but to no, jump in terms around. of not at all. Um, while you're with us, and you're going to be running headlines on the terminal tonight, right? The people yes. need to know this is like, this is the person behind the curtain when you hear the, the news break later on. Um, are we going to get an early call? Listen, I'm no betting woman. Yeah. However, I think it's very likely that if we see Trump perform the way that we have seen the polls show, I think we're going to get a pretty early call for Trump. Polls um, close at 8. Polls close at Some 8. Some say 8.01 you're going to know who won, but we'll find out. About I that mean, together. listen, yeah. I'm, you this know, you'll, you'll know when live. the headline crosses the terminal. Absolutely. Um, thanks for joining. Come talk to me sometime in Washington. You're always welcome here. Lauren Dzinski with us here on Balance of Power. I'm Joe Matthew in Manchester, and we're going to get an update now on things in the field from Bloomberg's Tyler Kendall, who's been watching the polls since things opened uh, fairly early this morning. Tyler, what are the stakes in this election today? Hey, Joe. Well, as you've mentioned, voting is well underway. I'm starting to see people walk around downtown Manchester with the I Voted stickers. That's how you know we're in the thick of it. Like you mentioned, polls are going to start closing at 7 p.m. The last polls will remain open until 8 p.m. Now, to put this into context for you, there are 22 delegates at stake in New Hampshire tonight, but that's less than 1% of what's needed for the Republican primary. But New Hampshire's first in that's, the nation primary status doing. means that all eyes Sounds are like going to be on this race tonight, especially as the contest begins to winnow. Now, I know that both you and I are also going to be watching for the independent vote. This is an open primary and independent voters make up the largest share of New Hampshire voters at 39%. Now, the polling and the strategists are telling us that this is the needle that Nikki Haley is trying to thread with these more moderate independent voters. But we have to remember, in 2016, former President Trump handedly won independence in the 2016 New Hampshire primary. It ultimately helped him win the state by 20 percentage points. The chair of the New Hampshire Republican Party says that that is the narrative he's going to be watching, that these independent voters are former President Trump's to lose. He's also going to be watching for turnout. And I can tell you from the voters I've spoken to here on the ground, there's a lot of enthusiasm for getting out tonight for both for and against the former president. Tyler Kendall, we thank you, and we'll meet you a little bit later on on Balance of Power. Tyler will be with us uh, for the duration, and that's our plan. We've got many hours of programming coming to you live here from Manchester today here on Balance of Power on the radio and on YouTube later on Bloomberg TV and special coverage tonight that will begin at 8 p.m. Manchester time, if I can say that at least for today, as we add the voice of Lizzie Guyton now, a voice of experience having uh, run Scott Brown's campaign for Senate here in Massachusetts, but also represented Governor Charlie Baker, the aforementioned governor of Massachusetts. Lizzie, it's great to see you. Thanks You're for at me. South and Hill Strategies now, a co-founder, Republican strategist, and uh, 
the first person we called when we knew we were coming up to <laughs> Manchester. Thanks for making your way north. You're like those voters we were just talking about. You live in Massachusetts, but New Hampshire is also your backyard. And in some cases, these voters who go to work every day in mass live here. And I wonder how you describe the demographics that we're talking about, because they're constantly changing. And when you look back to 2016, that might not be the best guide. That's right. And right now, 40% of the electorate is unenrolled, mm -hmm. um, and they all have the ability to go pull a ballot today. Um, these are good conditions for Nikki Haley yeah. uh, to not only pull Republicans and independents that are looking for an alternative to Trump, but mm -hmm. there also could be some independents that are looking to an alternative to President Biden, who has snubbed the Granite State for the primary. So talk to me more about this elusive independent vote. People not from here are hearing about it, these undeclareds. Who are these people? Um, where are they from? What are the demographics like? Is it what Donald Trump says, that they're kind of Democrats in disguise who want to go in and infiltrate this process with a protest vote? Are these Republicans who are looking for an alternative, or is it somewhere in between? I think they're a little bit of everything, and I think in the age of, you know, Biden and Trump, you're seeing more uh, unenrolled voters because people are sick of the extremes on both sides. Most people are in the middle, um, and it's the extremism that's a big turnoff to this political process. Mm. Um, so I think that you're seeing people from the left, from the right, and frankly, people that just don't want to be have a political label, and they're looking for you know a fresh start, a different candidate that's going to bring an alternative to the table that's not Trump or Biden. So talk to me about the narrative here, because I've been here for a few days, and I I'm hearing that there's disappointment. Debates were canceled. Not all the networks showed up this time. I wonder if you think that feeds into a, a potentially lower turnout, but also this sense of inevitability. I thought New Hampshire was supposed to be the place that brought surprises. Well, it is, but this is also a state where there's a lot of value in retail politics. Um, mm -hmm. Residents expect to see the candidates to be able to shake their hand, ask some questions. And the front runner never even came here, did a couple rallies. Right, um, and is not doing the type of retail politicking that Granite Staters expect. Uh -huh. um, not to mention even President Biden. I mean, he hasn't stepped foot in the state since 22. How about that? Um, so I think that there's, but you know, politics is also different now. I think it's not everybody's expecting to meet a candidate and spend time with them, but they're looking for someone that is going to talk to New Hampshire voters that's going to show that, you know, they have a, a new approach. And Granite Staters like to think for themselves they don't like to be influenced by Washington. So you don't think this is done, right? No one's counted a vote yet, and you've got people writing about the inevitable nomination of Donald Trump. Sure. I mean, not only do Trump Republicans want to see a Trump nomination, but I think Democrats also want to see a Trump nomination because I don't think President Biden wants to go up against a more moderate Republican like Nikki yeah, Haley. Yeah. So you do think that that is right, that the Biden camp thinks it can beat Donald Trump and would be at risk facing a Nikki Haley because we've got swing state polling at Bloomberg and we're not the only ones showing that Joe Biden might have a hard time beating Donald Trump, too. Yeah, and it's, you know, an unknown. Trump is a known quantity um, for Biden and for Democrats, and mm -hmm. Nikki Haley is, is different, right? She's an alternative to what we've seen for sure. the past eight years. How important is this Chris Sununu endorsement? We talked to the governor over the weekend, the most coveted endorsement in New Hampshire. Has it been a difference maker for her? This was supposed to be Nikki Haley country. I think it's a good endorsement to have. Uh, Chris Sununu is a really popular governor, and yeah. again, he's appealing to not just Republicans, but he's been supported by 
voters on, on all sides. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a trust in him in the Granite State that they do uh, take what he says to heart. But, you know, it's really interesting, like how much clout does an endorsement hold these days is, is an mm -hmm. interesting question. Um, and really I think part is. of it is really just that New Hampshire voters like to think for themselves. Yeah, right. We're spending time with Republican strategist Lizzie Guyton here on Bloomberg's Balance of Power. Um, as I mentioned, you were, you were a spokesperson for Governor Charlie Baker. Yep. At the time, the most popular governor in the United States of America. Many folks thought he might be the future of the party. How do we get this guy to run for president? But if you had done that, he wouldn't have been able to clear a primary. He may well have won a general election. So where does that say about where we are now versus 2016? I think it's hard for any moderate in a primary setting, and I think that goes for both Republicans and Democrats. Isn't that a problem for democracy? I think it's a it's a challenge. And I think, you know, even for a candidate like Nikki Haley, who, you know, is certainly looking to get some momentum here in New Hampshire to carry on, um, her margins should always expect it to be tight in primaries because she is more of a moderate candidate um, than, you know, some would say Trump is and then a conservative choice. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to be looking tonight? You've helped to run a Senate campaign here in New Hampshire and you have a sense of geography and demographics. Where should we have our eyes when the polls close? I think the counties where Governor Kasich did well mm -hmm. are ones to watch uh, for Nikki Haley. And, you know, I know everyone's saying 801, but yeah, yeah. some of the bigger voting precincts will take a little bit more time to come in. Um, and I think uh, those will be, especially if there's good turnout and there's a lot of independents that go out and vote today, those are going to be where you're going to want to watch for Haley to have some good numbers. Are you pushing us back on an early call? Do you think this might take a minute? It might take a minute. I don't think we're going to be, you know, maybe that's the surprise midnight, if she's doing better than expected. Yeah, just we got to wait for some of those bigger returns to come in mm -hmm. in New Hampshire, I would say. You saw the Suffolk numbers I started with here. Trump's mm -hmm. at 60% now. Yep. Do you believe it? I think we got to give it the day. I think it's too yeah. early to, to make any conclusions. I keep hearing New Hampshire people like messing with pollsters. That's why I ask you. They <laughs> well, love. Look, we also put a lot of stock in polls these days. Sure. You know? And I also would say we have to keep in mind in the past seven days, the landscape of this primary has changed dramatically mm -hmm. with Christie dropping out, Vivek, and then DeSantis. So if, even if we are leaning heavily on the polls, there hasn't been that much polling that's just a Haley-Trump matchup. Yeah, that's true enough. And you wonder where those... Those final DeSantis votes go. I think we know where the Christie votes went based on her trajectory recently. What a great pleasure to see you, Lizzie Guyton. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us at South and Hill Strategies, a firm that you co-founded. And I hope everything is well for you. Stay in Thanks, touch with Joe. us here at Bloomberg. Absolutely. I'm Joe Matthew in Manchester, New Hampshire. And we do thank you for being with us here on Balance of Power with a lot more to follow, including our conversation with Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips. It's next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. We're here to cover the Republican primary, of course, in New Hampshire, but there is a Democrat traveling the state knocking on doors and trying to make some noise here, that would be Congressman Dean Phillips. He's running against Joe Biden in a primary that doesn't actually matter. Things get a bit complicated here. But after they changed the schedule, the objection by New Hampshire, uh, it led the DNC to a decision to not recognize the delegates here. So Joe Biden is not campaigning, uh, certainly in person, and he's not acknowledging the challenge, if we can call it that, from Dean Phillips. We talked about his long shot campaign 
and to sit down with myself and my partner, Kaylee Lyons, who will be here, uh, of course, next hour. And Kaylee started by asking him about his claim that Joe Biden is a danger to democracy, whether his campaign that's underway right now is, in fact, a danger to Joe Biden. Here he is. I'm simply calling attention to the very danger he's presenting to both his legacy, our party, and the country. To anybody who wishes to prevent another Donald Trump uh, White House uh, administration, we've got to wake up from this delusion that Joe Biden is an electable candidate. All the data show that he's not. Weakest approval numbers in, I think, American presidential history, three points below where Donald Trump was at the same point in his presidency, nine points below Barack Obama as he approached his reelection. Uh, national polls, some show him a little bit ahead, but of course Democrats, because of the Electoral College, have to be way above that. But it's the battleground numbers that I encourage people to take a look at. Eight points down in Georgia, I think it's the same in Michigan. This is a tragedy just waiting to happen. I did not weaken the... In fact, to the contrary, I spent the last few years trying to help him, voting for his policies, being a member of House Democratic leadership to promote them. We all know what's going on in Washington. I think I'm just saying the quiet part out loud. I'm not weakening him. The party is choosing a coronation instead of the very competitions that our founders intended this country to be predicated upon. This seemed to upset a number of people in your party. Yeah. I spoke Good with trouble. your colleague Annie Custer at this table uh, over the weekend. She called your campaign ill-advised and unimpressive oh. and went on to say that she doesn't know what you're up to here in New Hampshire. So let's get to this, because it appears like this would be very difficult for you to win. What are you up to? <laughs> I'm up to practicing democracy, and I think elected officials, like my colleague Ms. Custer, should be doing the same thing. And this notion uh, to condemn those who would have the audacity to actually do what we are supposed to do in this country, I think is appalling. It's one thing if President Biden was uh, looking strong, where the country valued uh, his re-election, where his numbers were rising, or at least in the 40s or 50s, mm -hmm. uh, if his battleground numbers were even, if not a little ahead. Remember, Hillary Clinton was ahead of Donald Trump in 2016. Everybody anticipated her victory. Donald Trump overperforms because the polls don't even measure his success. Ms. Custer, she can feel the way she wants. Uh, she called my campaign to my face unserious. Mm -hmm. I think she might be surprised tomorrow evening when she sees the number and sees an extraordinarily weak incumbent and a rather remarkably stronger uh, challenger than she would have anticipated. But my point is this. I went to a Trump rally last night. I literally walked the line. It seemed like a mile long of Trump supporters standing in the cold for hours waiting to get in. I simply walked the line. Didn't know what I'd expect. But I'll tell you, I had 50 conversations with people, hospitable, friendly, kind. I would ask them, first rally? I'd say over, a th I'd say maybe half of the people I spoke to, first time they'd ever gone to a Trump rally. Diverse, diversity, diversity of politics, of races, of religions. It was astounding, everybody. And my message to Ms. Custer and every Democrat who is propagating this fallacy that Biden will win, uh-uh. It's a tragedy in waiting. Somebody had to stand up in the absence of others of courage, including governors from the Midwest, including my colleagues in the House and Senate. They sit on the sidelines instead of meeting the moment. The president never should have run again. We all know that. And I'm saying the quiet part out loud. So you're saying the data is suggesting to you that he's not going to win again. Well, the data is anybody who reads it would it suggest. I, I can't imagine seeing it and saying that he has a good chance of winning. Uh, not to mention, of okay. course, the element of his stage in life. It's real. Mm. He's going to be 82 years old at the next election. I think he'll be 86 by the end of his next term. 
You know, there was a Time magazine cover uh, when Bob Dole ran that questioned whether he was too old at 72. It's not an issue of age. It's an issue of Americans having determined that he is beyond the time at stage of life for him to run this country. And by the way, I think Donald Trump is in the same category. Sure, they're not actually that far apart in right. age. Have you seen data, though, that suggests you would win? If this is all about data at the end of the day, what do you see? My point, not at this stage, because nobody knows me yet. Maybe the nice blessing of not being well-known is two-thirds of the country doesn't hate me yet. And I mean this sincerely. I mean it very sincerely. It's a pretty My job, state of affairs. Oh, that's, that's American politics right now. Uh, I will introduce myself to the country. They will see how hard I work, where I show up, I run to the fire, I listen, I do what we do in America. I actually am campaigning. And I think in a matter of months, we will have data that does show that I will be able to defeat Donald Trump and Joe Biden won't. If that is different, if somehow Biden miraculously recovers and suddenly is ahead mm. and I'm behind, I will absolutely end this and get behind him. But not until we have data that suggests one or the other. Mm. And right now, all I see is the deficiency of the coronated candidate. And furthermore, if others would enter this race, I invite them. How about that? I'm inviting you to join this. The water is warm. This is practicing democracy. And if someone else can demonstrate that they're better positioned, we who wish to prevent another Trump White House should get behind them. Let's talk about this contest in New Hampshire. Uh, what kind of a margin do you need to pull here to be taken seriously? Well, I think after 10 weeks, zero name recognition and starting at zero in the polls, if we're in the 20s tomorrow, that would be extraordinary. But I think what people should really be paying attention to is where does Joe Biden end up tomorrow? Bill Clinton achieved 84%, Barack Obama 81%. This is a write-in campaign. It's a write-in campaign with the incumbent president, who should be yeah. on the ballot, by the way. The unreported story of this whole primary is his rationale for not even appearing on the ballot, his own choice. Mm -hmm. But we all know there's a write-in campaign here. Every member of the cabinet, I think, has been up. The mayor of Boston, the governor of Massachusetts, a number of my own colleagues have been up here doing the same thing, telling people to write in Biden. There's a super PAC set up. My goodness, they are trying really hard, which I consider to be the hypocrisy of democracy. If I'm in the 20s, that would be spectacular. If he's anywhere close to 80, I would be shocked. In fact, anything I predict more in the 50s or 60s, which will be the first evidence that voters are actually being reflected by the polls saying that he cannot win. There's been reporting on the eve of this primary about a robocall that has been going out to voters, an AI-generated voice mm -hmm. of the president telling them to hold yeah. their vote until November. Do you know anything about that? What is your reaction to Other that? Other than what I just read, and I just did read that, mm -hmm. which, by the way, I hope you all know, the state of New Hampshire, the attorney general here, just sent a letter to the Democratic National Committee, a cease and desist for the unlawful suppression of voters. So I don't know who's behind that. I think it's appalling. Uh, and I think here's the bigger issue. Uh, there was an outside group that also did a, a bot for Dean. I think it was called Dean Bot, which is now taken down. But uh, here's the real issue. The Biden administration has known that AI is coming down the pipeline. They understand the risks of deep fakes and have done almost nothing to secure us from it. No guardrails, no legislation, and no willingness to actually confront what is forthcoming. That, to me, is a metaphor for this entire problem. There was an AI executive order. But it has, pretty not, comprehensive it has not done anything to prevent the same thing right now, what you just referred to. Uh, who did it? There's no way to identify right now. There might be an investigation. I'd sure love to know who did it. The notion of suppressing voters. By the way, I want voters to come out and vote. The Democratic National Committee is the only entity of which I'm aware who has been reprimanded for the suppression of voters in this election. And I would ask you to take a look at that letter.
Congressman Dean Phillips speaking with us here in Manchester, speaking to the hypocrisy of democracy, as he put it, in a conversation now with White House correspondent Jordan Fabian, who's also with us here in New Hampshire. When you see the final analysis piece drop after this race is called at some point tonight, it'll be Jordan writing it. It's great to see you, sir. Thanks for coming back uh, on Balance of Power. Uh, you cover the White House. Did Joe Biden ever call Dean Phillips after he got in the race? Not to our knowledge, and uh, the Biden campaign and the White House have not really even acknowledged this campaign is happening. Yeah, uh, it seems like it. Yeah, they, I mean, look, they want to project this sense of inevitability around Biden's race, that he will be the nominee, and that they want to focus all of their attention on their likely opponent, Donald Trump. So they don't want to give Dean Phillips any oxygen here in New Hampshire. We talked to uh, Congresswoman Annie Custer here the other day. She's helping to drive this write-in campaign. I mean, can you imagine where it's a write-in campaign for a president of the United States? It's been a good generation since that has had to happen here. But could this be an embarrassment for Joe Biden? What if Dean Phillips pulls 50% or something? It won't uh, stop Biden's march to the nomination. As you mentioned earlier, yeah. the delegates here aren't going to count in the nomination psychological contest. knock. Right? right, but symbolically it could. If Dean Phillips you know, finishes within... Five ten percent, say, of Joe Biden, it's not going to look good for Joe Biden, and mm -hmm. it could make Joe Biden look weak among the Democratic electorate here and raise questions about his strength among his own party, let alone the general electorate. So somebody's going to do a victory speech tonight, either Donald Trump or Nikki Haley. Will we hear from the president after that, or the campaign, I suppose I should say? There are no plans to, as part of this arrangement where the Democratic National Committee has picked South Carolina as the first nominating state, yeah. they cannot engage in this primary at all. Uh, in, in fact, if they do, I think there's some penalty where they would lose delegates. Wow. So they're not going to talk about this at all. This writing campaign that you mentioned, mm -hmm. it's being done by unofficially by Biden supporters right. and a super right. PAC that's behind the effort. But he can't have his fingerprints on it, is Correct. the point. And that's why we won't get a speech tonight. Exactly. This is remarkable. Here we are in New Hampshire for the first in the nation primary, even though it's not for Democrats. And the White House can't even act like it exists. Yeah, you know, this this race has had just an odd feeling, Joe. Isn't that As someone right? who's covered it before, yeah. uh, you know, both of us, this used to be a hub of activity. Where's the and, circus, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, you incredible. look out in the, in the uh, lobby here at the Doubletree, and it's a little sleepy, so. Jordan uh, Fabian, this is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. Welcome to Bloomberg Balance of Power on Bloomberg TV and radio and on YouTube. Kaylee, great to see you here in Manchester with hours left to uh, actual polls closing here. It's a staggered poll. Yes. Is that like a laddered poll, as we would call it in Washington? <laughs> Most so. close at 7, the rest close at 8. Yep. We'll see if we get an early call. Well, yeah, how close to 8 p.m. could we get that call? Yeah. Keeping in mind that in Iowa, took about half an hour. The caucuses weren't even actually over, and it was called for Trump. Mm -hmm. He had a very commanding lead in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the Associated Press and other networks made the estimation that there was no way any other candidate was going to be able to catch him. If it's closer in New Hampshire, though, are they going to be as willing to put a call out there 
that early, knowing that they got a good deal of blowback for it well, right. last week. Especially with people still in line, potentially. Right. It's a different animal, uh, to your point, than caucusing. But we're really kind of obsessing over this new Suffolk number here and deeply curious uh, to hear what Frank Luntz has to say about it. I've been looking forward to this conversation. We last spoke with Frank, of course, uh, famed pollster, now at FIL, uh, the firm that he runs here as a consultant. Uh, it's great to see you. And uh, glad we got through both of these cold states together. It's almost over. Well, you can hear Frank. it in my voice, unfortunately, yeah. and I apologize for those listening to me, but it's still better than watching me. In Iowa, we knew that Trump was right at the majority, and that was key. And we could not call whether or not Haley was going to come in second or third. Now, with a two-person race, we know that Trump has, I know that Trump has a majority. I have no doubt about that. The question is, is the gap 10% or more. And by majority, you mean he'll secure at least 50%? That's correct. And and it's a ratio that I'm looking for. If it's less than 10%, she can make the case that she should stay in. Mm -hmm. If it's more than 10%, when she put a lot of time into here, she put a lot of effort, a lot of money into it, she had the governor following with her in every stop that they went, and he was very powerful. I don't know how you continue a campaign when the next state is South Carolina, mm -hmm. her state, and she's losing it by big numbers. Her campaign sent out a memo today, and I'm not sure if you've seen it, but essentially saying, everybody stay calm, we're staying in this race. They hmm. signed off on the letter with see y'all in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Seems to be an indication we're going there regardless on February 24th. But her campaign manager pointed out in that memo, on Super Tuesday, 11 of the 16 states are open primaries. Is there a, a, a world in which she may not do well in South Carolina, but come Super Tuesday, enough Democrats could think Trump has the Republican nomination locked up if I don't do something and I'll go out and vote for Nikki Haley? Yes, there is. But here's the problem. That world exists here in New Hampshire. And if you can pull it off here in New Hampshire, why should you be able to pull it off in Super Tuesday? That's why the margin is so important. I'm not looking at winners or losers tonight. I believe I know what's going to happen. But the margin is everything. Mm -hmm. This 60% number in the Suffolk poll is getting a lot of attention. It's the first time that Donald Trump has hit that level. Are those Ron DeSantis voters who are being added to the pile? How does he continue to gain? It's not like he's knocking on doors or doing anything different. Well, he's not knocking on doors. He's no. simply running these rallies. They get yeah. a lot of attention. First, you lose Vivek, and all of his votes go to Trump. Actually, even before that, you lose Chris Christie. The expectation was that two-thirds of his vote, maybe three-quarters, mm. would end up with Nikki Haley. That does not seem to be the case. That's it looks incredible. like it's more than 50, about somewhere between 50-50 and 60-40. And with the Florida governor pulling out, those numbers are probably two to one or even three to one going to Trump. And here's the interesting factoid. All the candidates who were running six months ago have dropped out and supported Trump, mm -hmm. not Haley. Mm -hmm. I think that's significant. I think that's had an impact on the polling. And as people make that final decision, they seem to be deciding that they're going to go with the candidate they know rather than the candidate that they don't know. Well, one of those former candidates who backed Trump was South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who was appointed to the Senate by Nikki Haley more than a decade ago. Chris Sununu, the governor, and of course a Haley surrogate, told us that it was just disrespectful, but ultimately he thought it didn't matter. So is it that is it that endorsements matter if you don't get them, not if you do? Is that essentially <laughs> what you're saying? That's a, that's a great question. Um, they matter when there's so many of them. There are so many congressmen, so many senators that have endorsed Trump in the last 10 days.
So many people from South Carolina even came up here. The current governor of South Carolina did a speech at the rally that I think we all attended a few days ago. That's significant because it sends a sign. And those undecided, it's less than 10%, but those undecideds are looking where are the winds blowing, where are the candidates making their decisions, and when they see that they're all from South Carolina, that does have an impact. Spending time with Frank Luntz on Bloomberg TV and radio, talk to us about the New Hampshire primary. What was such an important part of the process for so many years seems to have been downgraded into, I don't even know what we're calling this now, the lack of attendance that we're seeing, the lack of excitement, the lack of carnival atmosphere, and what appears to be uh, a sense of inevitability in the state that's supposed to bring surprises. So I remember this set. I remember other sets back four years ago. You couldn't get into the hotel. Right. You're, you're 50 feet away from the lobby here. It's empty. There's no wait to get a table. What's going on? There's no one standing up. There's still candidates walking through. There's still governors, senators. But the intensity isn't there first because the Democrats don't really have a primary. I bought a hat that says... Write in Joe Biden. <laughs> Nobody wanted to buy it from me. Nobody cares. And on the Repu what you were trying to arbitrage this thing? How much did you buy the hat for? What I, were you trying to sell it for? I bought it for nine bucks. Tried to sell it for nineteen bucks, and I oh, failed. There you go. And by the way, then I don't think Bloomberg's ever going to invite me on because you want people who make money, not people who lose money. And so there's nothing on the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, the feeling is that the decision has been made. And I will tell you this, I've never been to a rally like Donald Trump's here. I had to stand out line for 45 minutes. It was snowing, it was cold as heck, and nobody left that line. They were willing to wait until the end. There were people still lined up that couldn't get into the they building. They turned away, yeah. That's significant. Now, now, Nikki Haley has big rallies, but nothing like that. And the intensity, Donald Trump spoke for over an hour and a half, nobody left. Hmm. Everybody laughed at jokes. Everybody participated. There is a passion to his supporters. Yeah, and we've seen that in, in polling. They are far more enthusiastic to show up for him. More of their votes are for him rather than against Nikki Haley. That's not necessarily the case for Haley. A lot of those votes are cast for her because they're, tech, they're against Trump more than they are for her. So it gets to the turnout question on the point of how much enthusiasm Trump has with his supporters. We've heard over the last several days that it could be a record turnout for this vote, something to the tune of 320,000 plus, and that higher turnout would benefit Nikki Haley. Could it actually benefit Trump more if it's his voters that are driving that high turnout? Absolutely. I'm not convinced that this is going to be a record turnout. In fact, I actually believe that it will not Doesn't be. Doesn't that sound unlikely based on what you just said? Uh, because those who've decided are participating and those who don't have a candidate in this race, because normally there's four, five, six candidates right now. Mm -hmm. Now there are only two. So I think that depresses turnout. But the thing I want to raise with you, because viewers are always trying to look into the future, is that there are a lot of people who do not like Joe Biden, do not like Donald Trump. And if Trump wins by 10 points, tomorrow the conversation's going to be, is there going to be a third-party candidate? Does that third-party candidate have credibility? And will people be looking for an alternative to the two-party system? I think the answer to that is yes. Boy. And we're going to get into the no labels conversation. Well, we had that conversation with Dean Phillips That's yesterday. That's right. And he says he's not running. Uh, but we've heard a lot of interesting names who have gotten phone calls. There was even reporting that Nikki Haley is on their radar. If she doesn't put this together in New Hampshire, does she get a call from no labels? 
she'll probably get a call because she's been willing to run against the establishment. The key for no labels is that they're even less establishment than Donald Trump. And it's not just about ideology. It's not just about being in the center. It's also how you carry yourself. The three attributes the American people are looking for right now, number one, is results. Number two is accountability. And number three, a detailed plan of action. I'm not sure that describes either of the likely nominees that could describe a third-party candidate. And notice that I didn't mention a single issue. Mm. It's all about their attributes, who they are as people. I wonder how you look at the data we've seen on third parties or just on the idea that people would like an alternative to Trump and Biden. It's more than two thirds say they don't want either of these men to be president of the United States again. The number is significantly lower, though, when people are asked if they would support a third party candidate. Mm -hmm. So just dissatisfaction with these two candidates doesn't necessarily mean that they would be satisfied with someone else. What do you what do you make of that? So we know that that number is 70 percent that does not like either candidate. We know that two-thirds want to vote or will, will at least seriously consider another candidate. And we know that 46 percent now actually want to vote against Trump and Biden. That's a really large voter pool. Ross Perot got 19 percent in 1992. I believe a third-party candidate, a genuine third-party candidate, starts with 20 percent of the vote. All they need to do is add two or three percent more. They start to win electoral votes add 5% more or more, they become real players. And to get into the debates, you need 15% of the vote. Mm. I have no doubt that a true independent candidacy, candidate that has those attributes will garner 15% of the vote. And you wonder if Donald Trump shows up for a three-way debate. That'll be an interesting <laughs> one, assuming he First is, one of the cycle. Yeah, he is the nominee. <laughs> we were fascinated to learn, uh, Frank Luntz, in, in Iowa, that immigration was the top issue for Republican voters above the economy. What is it here? Same thing. <coughs> here we are up closer to the Canadian border again, and immigration is the number immigration one issue. is a national issue. And with immigration, it's a fear of crime. It's a fear of violence. It's a fear of drugs, fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Immigration is a sign that we've lost control. So don't look at it as immigration, where they're from. Mm -hmm. Look at what America is losing in the process, and that's the genesis of immigration. Do we have control of our borders? Do we have control of our citizenry? And what does this indicate for America going forward? Well, we know that the immigration issue is one that a lot of voters aren't satisfied with the performance of President Biden, or even Congress, for that matter, yeah. on, on the issue of the border. Just on the subject of the incumbent president, though, obviously we mentioned Dean Phillips, who is on the ballot here in New Hampshire, the incumbent president is not, and there is a writing campaign for him. There also was news yesterday of a deep fake, an AI-generated voice of Biden that was making robocalls to people, telling them to save their vote for November. Have we really started to properly think about the way that deep fakes, misinformation could impact this election? And I apologize for coughing, but you just upset me. <laughs> and so now you're getting the physical reaction. Yes, we've waited too long. Yes, this is a problem. <coughs> it's going to become a crisis, and I'm going to get this out if it kills me. Mm. We have to study this. We have to figure this out because people are going to start to change their votes and change their behavior if they can't even trust yeah. what they're being told, and that's what's happening right now. We already have given up on, on politics. We've given up on so much in the news media. 
And now that we have AI that's having a negative impact, this should scare every viewer, every listener, because once again, we are losing control. And that's my greatest fear, that we no longer think that we're in charge of our democracy. We no longer think that the public determines the outcome of the elections. We don't trust the results on election day. I've been frightened before, but this scares the hell out of me. And by the way, notice that my voice is cleared up because I even think there's been divine intervention. <laughs> I, of all the things I could say on this show, there's yeah. nothing more important that we, if we lose the faith, trust, and a sense of control over our destiny in this country, we will lose everything. And that's what I'm most concerned about over the next 10 months. Thanks for being with us. Again, we want to hear from you uh, as we move on to South Carolina. But we appreciate your view, Frank Luntz, always here on Bloomberg. It's good to see you in New Hampshire. It's an honor to be on this show. Thank you, sir. I'm Thanks. Joe Matthew, alongside Kaylee Lines, as we drive forward with more voices from New Hampshire. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. I'm Joe Matthew alongside Kaylee Lines as we bring you special coverage from New Hampshire. It's primary day. Voting is underway. And there's been a lot of door knocking uh, over the past couple of days, certainly for Nikki Haley. Uh, on behalf of the Americans for Prosperity, this group, AFP, has been knocking on tens of thousands of doors to try to make a difference in a race that appears to be leaning towards Donald Trump. And we're going to speak now uh, with someone who's been right in the middle of it, Tracy Schmidt, speaking for AFP Action. Tracy, it's good to have you here. Do you have a final number on how many doors you knocked on behalf of Nikki Haley? Well, it's and counting. We're still knocking on doors because we understand New Hampshire is an unusually engaged electorate who really is going to continue to listen and open to change their mind right until they walk in and place that ballot. So I think we're up over 100,000. I know we've made like almost 650,000 contacts um, in New Hampshire to kind of uh, talk to folks about Nikki Haley and why she's the only candidate that can beat um, Joe Biden. So we've certainly been out there. We've got almost, I think, 200 people canvassing the state um, and really making that case to voters. Well, how many of those door knocks then, Tracy, do you think are actually going to turn into votes in a polling booth? I know Americans for Prosperity has had suggested that there would be a higher turnout than we heard even from New Hampshire's Secretary of State. David Scanlon told Joe yesterday 322,000 is what he expects. Do you expect still that it will be higher based on what you're seeing early on? Well, we're expecting, and the Secretary of State has been clear, they're expecting a record turnout. So I don't know how much higher you can get than a record turnout. But um, look, we got involved and we decided to endorse Nikki Haley and really engage in a presidential primary for the first time ever because we knew we could make a difference. We've seen from the data that we've collected, I think 6 million um, voters, we've collected critical data about and these are voters that we know are maybe have voted in a general, but maybe not a primary. We have several different strategies, but we understood that this is somewhere we can make a difference. And we heard from voters loud and clear. They weren't happy with the choice between Biden and Trump. So we've had we go and have those conversations, hear from them. And I mean, we're seeing momentum. And what was interesting in terms of a lot of the folks we've talked to is they were responsive 
to Nikki Haley. They wanted to learn more about her policy. And two thirds of even Trump voters, and this is kind of nationally, we found understood he had electability and baggage issues. So we saw a real opportunity there to make a difference and really change the trajectory um, in our country. I want to know what happens when you knock on doors in an environment like this in a 2024 campaign when there's such a lack of trust in institutions, there's so much division, vitriol when it comes to people's views on politics, and you're knocking on someone's door to give them the pitch on a candidate. What do you tend to receive when the door opens? Well, look, obviously different people are more kind of open to this communication, but what's interesting about AFP is because we have a permanent grassroots organization, a lot of these folks in New Hampshire, they understand we've been on the ground, we've been fighting for policies, we've been engaged on the issues. Um, so that I think also gives us a leg up. And then we have that built-in credibility with the voter. And we're reaching out to people that we believe we can make a difference and are gonna be receptive to our issue and receptive uh, to the idea of an alternative. Do you fully expect, we only have about a minute left, but to take this effort to South Carolina, Tracy? We're already in South Carolina. We've been in South Carolina and some of these other early states for months now. But you'll now. stay there South no matter the result today? We're abs as long as there's a path, um, a clear path or a path for her nomination, we're absolutely going to be engaged. Nikki Haley's been clear. She's got an ad by launching in South Carolina tomorrow. So New Hampshire um, is important. But what again, what makes our organization unique is we have the ability to play the long game and the resources to stay in this thing. And we, we didn't expect this to um, to end in January. That's been obviously something the national media like to talk up. I feel like there's this there was this eagerness to put a bow on this thing right out of Iowa, but that was never our expectation. All right, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Tracy Schmidt joining us as a spokesperson for AFP Action.